Hey man, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? You got some information, thoughts, or views that you want the world to hear? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other places people like to listen? Man, the big question though was how do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of those questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. So best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with a great sponsors too, so you can get paid to podcast. One of the benefits that I really love about doing my podcast with Anchor is the ability to get my podcast on multiple platforms with the click of a button. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm backwards slash start. Go to anchor.fm slash start. One more time for the people in the back. Go to anchor.fm slash start to join me in a diverse community of podcasters already using anchor that's anchor.fm slash start i can't wait to hear your podcast till next time ladies and gentlemen welcome to episode 22 of the Page Turners podcast, man. We are on the very last chapter of Black Theology and Black Power by the late, great Dr. James H. Cone. With the conclusion of this book will be the end of season one of the Page Turners, man. Uh, I'm excited really really looking forward to season two I already picked out the new book Uh, I'm excited about it man season two season two family of the page turners podcast will kick off on October 1st and we will be um Beginning season two with the book Evicted, 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 Poverty and Profit in the American City by Matthew Desmond. The title again is Evicted, Poverty and Profit in the American City by Matthew Desmond. Just a quick little overview of that particular book, man, just to give you a little insight. Um, It is... It's another one of those books, man, that I really wish more people would have read. 
I really wish it was uh, one of those books, man, where more people have would have paid attention to uh, this book because I think one of the things that gets lost in our understanding of the way things work and why things work the, the way they do is our lack of understanding of poverty. And in this brilliant, heartbreaking book, Matthew Desmond takes us into the poorest neighborhoods in Milwaukee to tell the story of eight families on the edge. Arlene is a single mother trying to raise her two sons on the $20 a month she has left after paying for her rundown apartment. Scott is a gentle nurse consumed by a heroin addiction. Lamar, a man with no legs and a neighborhood full of boys to look after, tries to work his way out of debt. Vanetta participates in a botched stick-up after her hours are cut. All are spending almost everything they have on rent and all have fallen behind. The fates of these two families are in the hands of two landlords. Sharina Tarver, a former school teacher turned inner city entrepreneur, and Tobin Cherney, who runs one of the worst trailer parks in Milwaukee. They loathe some of their tenants and are fond of others, but as Sharina puts it, love don't pay the bills. She moves to evict Arlene and her boys a few days before Christmas. Even in the most desolate areas of American cities, evictions used to be rare, but today most poor renting families are spending more than half of their income on housing and eviction. It has become ordinary, especially for single parents. Mm. Evicted. Evicted Man by Matthew Desmond. So, that's going to be season two, man. Season two of the Page Turners. Starting October 1st. Before that, let's go ahead and try to dig into, man, the last chapter of Black Theology and Black Power by the late, great Dr. James Lynch Cone. This particular title of the chapter is Revolution, Violence, and Reconciliation in Black Theology. Revolutionary action is a Christian, a priestly struggle. Camilla Torres. Because black theology is a biblical theology seeking to create new value perspectives for the oppressed, it is a revolutionary theology. It is a theology which confronts white society as a racist antichrist, communicating to the oppressor that nothing will be spared in the fight for freedom. It is this attitude which distinguishes from white American theology and identifies it with the religionists of the third world. It says with Leroy Jones, fact, there's a racial struggle. Fact, any man had better realize what it means, why there is one. 
it is a result of more than misunderstanding. Fact, people should love each other. Sounds like Reese Park at sundown. It has very little meaning to the world at large. The debate is over. There will be no more meetings between liberal religious whites and middle-class Negroes to discuss the status of race relations in their communities. Black theology believes that the problem of racism will not be solved through talk, but through action. Therefore, its task is to carve out its revolutionary theology based on relevant involvement in the world of racism. Revolution. The revolution which black theology advocates should not be confused with some popular uses of the word. When Billy Graham can speak of a need for revolution, we clearly require a tighter definition of the term. Revolution is not merely a change of heart, but a radical black encounter with the structure of racism with the full intention of destroying its menacing power. I mean confronting white racism saying, if it's right, this is a fight you want, I'm prepared to oblige you. This is what the black revolution means. It is important not to confuse protest with revolution. Revolution is more than protest. Protest merely calls attention to injustice. It is an act of defiance against what is conceived to be an established evil. It is a refusal to be silent in the presence of wrong. Excuse me. In the presence of wrong to which others are accommodated. Social protest flings a gauntlet into the teeth of a suspect authority and challenges the principles upon which that authority claims to rest. It seems that the work of the traditional civil rights organization falls in this category. Though they changed laws, they were essentially movements which appealed to the conscience of white America. They were asking for black Americans to be included in the total structure of white American way. Black power believes that the implicit, that implicit in the act of protest is the belief that change will be forthcoming once the masses are aware of the protesters' grievance. In contrast, revolution sees every particular wrong as one more instance in a pattern which is itself beyond rectification. Revolution means that the, subs- at the substitution of a new system for one adjudged to be corrupt rather than corrective adjustments within the existing system. The power of revolution is conceived. The pre-Civil War black preachers were the revolutionaries in that they believed that the system itself was evil and consequently urged slaves to rebel against it. But it seems to be family just a pause right there. Doesn't it seem like those preachers don't exist anymore? Well, they're not nearly as prevalent as they once were. How many black preachers can you name off the top of your head that not just speak up and out against white supremacy? but pushes a a narrative that many would deem and call separatists. Yeah, man, it's still that time of year, family.
the motorcycles are still flowing. Most of the information or the discussion that takes place from black preachers today in regards to racism is finger pointing. It's pointing out what white supremacy is doing. And in many instances, and most instances, man, is not telling their congregation what they could be doing and should be doing in the midst and facing of white supremacy. And the title, I mean, and the text reads, the very existence of the black church meant that men like Richard Allen and Absalom Jones were convinced that the evil of racism in the white church was beyond redemption. And again, this book was written in 1969, published in 1969, and it harkens back to Richard Allen and Absalom Jones in the 1800s. And they're stating that they were convinced that the evil of racism in the white church was beyond redemption then. What, what makes us think that what has changed to make us change our thought process? And the text reads, Today the Black Power Movement is an expression of this same revolutionary zeal in the black community. It shuns protests and seeks to speak directly to the needs of the black community. Black Power seeks to change the structure of the black community. Its thought, forms, values, and culture. It tells black people to love themselves and by doing so, confront white racism with the mode of behavior immicable to everything white. The revolutionary attitude of black theology stems not only from the need of black people to defend themselves in the presence of white oppression, but also from its identity with biblical theology. Like biblical theology, it affirms the absolute sovereignty of God over his creation. This means that the ultimate allegiance belongs only to God. Therefore, black people must be taught not to be disturbed about revolution or civil disobedience if the law violates God's purpose for man. The Christian man is obligated by a freedom grounded in the creator to break all the laws which contradict human dignity. Through disobedience to the state, he affirms his existence to God as creator and his willingness to behave as if he believes it so. Civil disobedience is a duty in a racist society. That is why Camilla Torres said, revolutionary action is a Christian, a priestly struggle. Biblical emphasis on the freedom of man also means that one cannot allow another to define his existence. If the biblical imago Dei means anything, it certainly means that God has created man in such a way that man's own destiny is inseparable from the relation to the creator. When man denies his freedom and freedom of others, he denies God. To be for God by responding creatively to the imago Dei means that man cannot allow others to make him into it. It is this fact that makes black rebellion 
human and religious. When black people affirm their freedom in God, they know that they cannot obey laws of oppression. By disobeying, they not only say yes to God, but also to their humanity and to the humanity of the white oppressor. No matter how hard we try, man, it seems one of the most, one of the big ways that people are trying to fight white supremacy is that they they make friends and form relationships with whites. Now, I don't hold the belief system that all whites are racist. I won't generalize in such a manner that I'm saying that they're all racist. Well, I will say it's hard to tell the difference between who is and who is it these days. Because just when you think that they're not, (laughs) they are. Violence. To raise the question of revolution is to raise the question of violence. Revolution always involves coercion. Is black theology a theology of violence? Does it advocate guerrilla warfare against the white adversary? These questions are not new. They are not the kinds of theoretical questions that we expect from those who sit in the grandstand of middle class Western morality untouched by the stings of oppression. There are also existential questions which the oppressor themselves are forced to think through as the oppressor continue to tighten the rope. When the oppressed first come to recognition of their humanity and their treatment as things by the social construct, social structures rather, sorry, the response usually consists of spontaneous, undisciplined outbursts of violence, saying, we can't stand any of this anymore. But the masters are always silent on injustice, saying justice will come only in a stable, orderly society, which means at the good pleasure of the white overlords. Therefore, if black theology is to speak to the predicament of the oppressed, it must deal honestly with the question of violence. I see this come up a lot, man. Where should Christians stand on violence, particularly violence in response to racist acts and oppression? Where where should it go? And the text reads, first you must realize that to carve out a theology of black revolution which does not sidestep the question of violence is difficult. It is normal with a Western view of morality to think that any expressions of violence at least long day at least by the disenfranchised is unchristian. By contrast, it is quite normal to think that a nation has a right to defend its national interests with violence, especially if it happens to be part of the free world. It is interesting that so many advocates of nonviolence as only people, Christian response of black people to white denomination are also the most ardent defenders of the right to the police to put down black rebellion through violence. Another interesting culinary 
is their defense of America's right to defend violently the government of South Vietnam against North. Somehow I am unable to follow the new reasoning. Our chief difficulty with black theology and violence, however, arises from the New Testament itself. The New Testament picture of Jesus seems to suggest that he was against violence as a proper redress. He certainly never resorted to violence. In fact, he seemed to have avoided the term Messiah as a general designation because of his political violent implications. Also, his constant references to love and the turning of the other cheek. Man. What a text. What a text. What a text. What a text. We got about five, six, uh, about ten more pages left, family. But I am going to stop here. And this is episode 22 of the page, of the page turners podcast, man. Titled Revolution, Violence, and Reconciliation in Black Theology. I appreciate you guys for listening, man. Till next time, it's your boy Big L. This is the Page Service.